My guest is Professor Erwin Laszlo. He is a holder of the highest degree from the Sorbonne, the state uh, doctorate. He is the recipient of four honorary PhDs, numerous awards and distinctions, including uh, the Japanese Peace Prize, and the, uh, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And he is the former professor of philosophy and systems theory and future studies, both in the United States and in Europe and the Far East in various universities, and also the uh, uh, president and one of the founders of the Club of Bucharest as well as the General Evolutions Research Group. Author of 74 books, the newest one is here today, and we're going to talk about the science and the, I guess, uh, the Akashic field, and we're going to let you know about the integral theory of everything. Nice to have you with us. Wonderful to be here, Gary. It's a delight. I want to start with, um, I always like to start all my questions as stories, and as such, uh, it gives you a lot of area to uh, to offer your own insights, and I then like to stay quiet. I, I don't do a chit-chat show, as you know, having been on it many times. I believe that it's too important a forum. It let people really roll their thoughts. So here is mine to begin this. Some time ago, um, I, I bought a home upstate New York, and it was the first home I could afford. But of all the different places I looked at, uh, this would have been seemingly the, the least of an advantage to me. It was very densely wooded. There was no real sunlight as it was at the bottom of this uh, valley. And yet I felt something there. I just felt that this is where I belonged at that point in my life. Only after I had purchased the property, and about a year later as I'm in the woods, I noticed that there were all kinds of... Um, uh, rocks in the uh, formations. And it turns out when I started doing the history of that area that this was a, uh, a sacred place where the Native Americans had lived and they had their healing ceremonies there. Jump ahead 15 years. I bought a place in New Jersey on Lake Apakong, the oldest home on Lake Apakong, set up on a two and a half acres, beautiful house. But it wasn't a house that, uh, it was the feeling I had being there. And then it turns out when I went into the history of that, that that also had been used by Native Americans for ceremonies. Then the same thing in Texas. I bought a piece of property the realtor didn't want me to buy. In fact, she said, you don't want this piece of property. And I said, why not? Well, look at it. There's sawgrass, 12 foot high. I had to get on the hood of her car and look to see if I could see over the grass to see the property. It was 100 acres. But when I walked on it, I said, this is where I, I want to buy this property. She said, well, this is ridiculous. There are beautiful farms all over the place. Don't buy this place. I bought it. Turns out that about six months later, after it cleared the sawgrass out of there, and a man showed up. He was Native American, Choctaw Indian. And he said, would you mind if we conducted our sweat lodges? And here I said, I don't mind. He said, the former owners wouldn't allow us to do this but this was a part of our sacred area. And from the time I had it till the time I sold it, there was always a Choctaw there doing ceremonies. And uh, I watched them at times. And the same is true down in Florida where I live now, out in the boondocks. Nobody would have bought anything out where I'm at now. Now everyone's buying around because the population pushed up, but it's the energy. Now what do these all have in common? If you just looked at the properties, most people would not have purchased these, except for maybe the one I like back on. But the energy was right for me. 
I felt an affinity, a connection. And then one day I'm down in Texas, and it was in the middle of summer, and I just had that the really unusual sensation. It was at night. It was about 2 in the morning. I was outside walking, and I looked up, and I instantly felt connected to everything in the universe that had ever been and was in that moment. I felt complete affinity as if there was a harmonizing of my life force with the harmony of all force, and I felt at one. And through that came a lot of ideas, many of which I've been sharing with people over a period of time since. Now my question then is to you. Some people would say, it is just a coincidence. It has nothing. One has nothing to do with the other. Others will say, has our reductionistic mindset in science and thought and theory, has, has this removed us from something more fundamental, the connections to something that predates us, that is still connected to us? And can the memory of anything and everything it's ever been also be a part of our epigenetic memory? Can we still be holding the memory of everything in the universe through our, our subconscious at this moment? The form is yours. Gary, what you recount is very similar to my experience. But before getting to experience, let me say the question that you raised, the answer is very simply, yes. I think what you're describing is a attunement to information that is there in nature, that is recording everything that is happening, which is very much like the ancient Eastern notion of the Akasha. One talks about the Akashic record. That is a record of everything that ever happened in the universe. And it's something that you can sense, you can tune into. Before I get into this, let me just tell you very briefly. I didn't know about your experience until just now that you told me. But it's strikingly similar to one of mine. The house I live in now is in Tuscany in Italy. I bought it in the winter of 72, 73. I saw it on top of a hill. It was completely overgrown with grass. One could hardly get to it. The roof was fallen in, uh, and it was an abandoned house. My family, some of the people, friends who were with me, said, what do you want here? I got out of the car. First of all, I wanted to drive up there. I got out of the car, and I said, here is where I'd like to live. Uh, people said, I'm crazy. I bought the house very, very quickly. Nobody thought that there would be interest. anybody would be interested in it. Fortunately, you might say, now that I got it for a song, now it was reverse of fortune because it's near the sea in Tuscany in a beautiful area. But this was an, a, near a village, a very small, sleepy village that at that time was not known any, for anything. Now it's producing wine and it's known for that. I bought the house. Over the years, I have reconstructed it. It turned out, just like it turned out many things by your place, that it was a sacred place because 400 years ago, this house was a chapel. And the chapel was built on foundations of previous buildings that we don't know what they were. But what we do know is that this was an area where the Etruscans lived. The Etruscans are a folk that predates the Romans on the Italian peninsula. When the Romans came in, after a few centuries, the Etruscans ceased to be evident somehow. We don't know. They were absorbed by the much more powerful, much more dominant uh, Roman culture. The Etruscans were a remarkable, peaceful people, very egalitarian men and women. 
And they apparently built, a, they had a sacred place next to the sea over a river on top of this hill. And that's somehow what I felt. Just one more thing to add to this. What I felt was an expression of peace and attunement. And the experience I've had after I bought the house, that whenever I was there, and at the beginning I was teaching in the United States, and I went there for, for summers and sometimes for a winter holiday. Whenever I was there, people would come from the village, and they would say, I used to come here because this is the place of peace. In Italian it says pace, peace. They always used to come and say, capace, what peace here. So this intuition, I never regretted it because I have rebuilt the house, we kept the structure. It, is, it has something magical to it. And I feel it confirms something that I have since then been researching and uh, writing on at the fact that one can sense affinities with nature just the same way with other people with the whole cosmos, if you like. And if one acts on it, if one has truly this sense, if one doesn't repress it, as one so often does in the West, then it can have some wonderful consequences, as they had for you, as they're having for me. Over the years, I did some of the, my, my most joyful healing experiences were at these events, at the, in these environments, and people would talk about how at peace they felt and yet just a block away, even the next door neighbor, you could go and there was a difference in the energy. And, uh, and I don't think people appreciate how significant energy is in our healing. Now I'm gonna get to another issue. I believe that we are all connected and that once we recognize the connection, as long as we do not interfere in the natural a capacity to align ourselves with other energies, that there is almost a perfect harmony that can occur. That the conditioned mind, however, interferes in the process. It blocks us. Rich, poor, black, white, uh, religious, a thousand different ways that we have been taught and conditioned to alienate ourselves from the natural affinity of being able to associate. And if you come to anything I ever do, any lecture, and I've done five lectures or premieres in the last seven days, they're all the same. There's a complete homogeneous group of uh, blacks and Latinos and Caucasians and old and young and everyone, all walks of life, every economic scale. And there's a sense of they don't have to feel alienated. There's a sense of inclusion. And I believe the universal consciousness is one of inclusion. And when we don't feel included, when we feel isolated, and, and by isolation frequently lonely and depressed and anxious and fearful of the loss of having that connection. And I believe one of the reasons is that society, as individuals, we feel so depressed is because we're always seeking that connection that is inherent in all, but now we feel orphaned or abandoned from it because of the separations. Your thoughts? Gary, I would like to suggest a kind of a flip of our ordinary, normal, modern worldview. The modern worldview says that we are really separate. I'm here, you are there. I'm bounded by my skin. And this is where I end, basically. Everything else is foreign 
are outside of me. And we usually think that this is the real, this is modern, this is the real worldview, this is human nature. The flip I suggest to you, is based on my research and on my anthropological research by other people, is that this is an exception. Human beings have a history on this earth as a cultural species going 30 to 50,000 years back, as a species that started to work on the environment and adapted to its needs, beginning to pastoralism and agriculture 10,000 years. As a modern species, as a modern civilization, 250, 300 years. It's only in this 250 to 300 years in one part of the world, which was initially Europe, and then it uh, migrated to the to the America. Only in this part, and now it's of course moving to many parts of the world. But only in this civilization, modern so-called modern civilization, do people believe that they are separate. This is not the rule. This is not human nature. This is an exception. Now I will go even further. Other species. I don't believe other species have any concept, they don't have a concept, but they have any, any suspicion, they wouldn't uh, even dream of thinking that they end exactly where they are. They feel and they act in, in oneness with their environment. Many of the things that we call instincts, inborn behaviors, is something that comes to them because they are not one. They were not born fresh when they were born. They inherited a lot of this information, and they can pick up this information, these energy fields. They are one with them. Traditional people, whether you talk about the African Bushmen, the Australian Aborigines, or whoever else, now they're getting fewer and fewer on this earth, but who still have the traditional culture, they have this ability to sense the connection and act on it. Anthropologists tell us that, for example, when in an Aboriginal family in, in Australia, something dramatic happens. A woman gives birth to a child, a fire breaks out, or something unusual happens. And the man is outside on the field, could be kilometers or miles away. That person senses that there is something happening there and is going to return as soon as he can. And this has been recorded over and over again. So what we call telepathy, that we can sometimes call twin pain, uh, where one twin picks up the pain or something happening to the other, when a mother feels that something is happening to her son, who could be on, on, in a war someplace on the other side of the world, or, or just having an accident uh, uh, down the street, whatever, it doesn't make any difference how far. All of these things show us that we can sense the connection with each other, that we are connected, and that exceptionally, for the past 250 years, we have got it into our heads in the Western world that all of reality is local. It's just matter moving in space and time. And this matter is only connected by sort of external relationship, cause and effect, like a billiard ball pushing another one. And then there is no really deeper connection between things. None of the other uh, cultures believe this. The, cult the other cultures are, are set up on this deeper knowledge. All spirituality is based on it. I think the origins of Western religions have the same deep sense of connection with each other, with Jesus, with the Holy Trinity, with God. We're trying to reestablish it through prayer. Many cultures do it through meditations. So it's always there. But the modern person 
on the street today believes that this is bunk, this doesn't really happen. And it's time to overcome this. And I'm hoping that through the research that I've done there by trying to connect this sense of oneness with the new physics, because people believe that, you know, in the physics. The string with theory. The, the string yeah. theory and, and also the general relativity, the unified theories, so-called the grand unified mm -hmm. theory, theories. All of these show that what is happening at one point affects what is happening at other points. I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Let us now take a look at something very both um, pragmatic and also, from my point of view, uh, a sense of I had to then accept that there was something beyond the scientific, um, the scientific discussions that were happening. This was back in the 1980s. I was, uh, excuse me, the 1970s. I was at the Institute of Applied Biology where I was a research scientist. I did two types of research, anti-aging research, and then on the side, very quietly, I did psi research. And I had to do it very quietly because this was a very orthodox and conservative scientific institution where mainly they were working on cancer therapies, orthodox chemotherapies, and I was the odd person out. I was working on nutrition and things that they, they didn't condemn, but they didn't really embrace. And when I once approached them about the research on psi and energy exchange, they thought I was a complete nut job. <laughs> they said, A, we, we won't even tolerate it. So I had to be very quiet. But I also wanted to be, see if I could have a scientific proof for what we're discussing, a unified theory of energy exchange. So that almost all my work went into exchanging energy, that every single act in life is an exchange. And therefore, if I choose something, I am choosing two things simultaneously. I'm choosing to engage in an energy and surrender an energy simultaneously. And it's the confusion of how we surrender something to gain something that confuses people because we don't like to surrender anything. Our conditioning says keep accumulating. And part of us says, but what you've accumulated is part of the problem. Surrender what you've accumulated and then trust that you can accumulate something else. And the most challenging thing is how do you surrender knowledge? And yet without surrendering knowledge, at some point we cannot learn something new because it will compete with what we already have. And what generally is our, what we've had is what limits us. Now just on this, and, and now I'm going to show you where I'm taking this. So before I extend this further, what are your thoughts on the idea that almost everything in life is an exchange of energy? And by understanding how we want to realign our energies and how we want these energies to be balanced and in the state of balance, there is no conflict there, unless we intentionally create conflict or we accept conflict. But we're accepting conflict from others when we accept their energy. And if you're not aware of the energy you're taking in from someone, you can take in energy that you end up with, uh, you end up with a holocaust. You know, how could 50 million, give or take a certain amount that certainly didn't participate, but we're not actively discouraging it, but how many people it took to cause a genocide there, or in, in Stalin, or Mao Zedong, or even McCarthyism in America, or even getting us into this war. Before this war in Iraq, I was, I was doing everything I could to tell people, stop and think of the consequences. But there was like a mass energy uh, acceptance by the dominant, what I call the, the cult of professionals. Uh, the cult of professionals are people who guide our energy, who feel they are the great keepers of our energy. 
So if they tell you to eat Wonder Bread, you eat Wonder Bread. If they tell you to vote for uh, Nixon, you vote for Nixon or Bush or Kerry or whatever. If they say we shouldn't go into Rwanda, it doesn't matter what your background is. Then suddenly they say, okay, I guess we shouldn't. If they say there's no other treatment for AIDS except AZT or DDI, then that's what you're going to take. Even if someone else has had another treatment that's helped them, you'll deny it because of the consequences of what happens to everything else in life that disempowers you once you accept a greater, and I don't mean greater as an enlightened greater, I mean a greater as far as the intensity, the power, energy from another source, and we're surrounded by institutions or individuals that run those institutions who demand us give them their energy, align with them, align with, I wouldn't vote for any of the clowns running for office now. I think, I, I think it's just despicable that this, these are the people, because I look at their energies. You know, I don't care about them as people. Um, they, they might be nice mothers, wives, you know, fathers, but I don't like any of their energy because I've read it intuitively. Not one of them is on right. So I'm saying part of our problem today, part of the fact that we have 27,000 kids dying in Africa and no one's attending to it, the fact that we have racism and segregation and misogyny, the fact that we even tolerated Don Imus on the radio and the stations that promoted him and the people that appeared on him or the rap music and everything else is because we've aligned ourselves with that energy. And once you align them with energy, you become a part of the consequences of it. And then you, if it's bad, you try to deny your responsibility. Oh, I didn't know, or it wasn't my fault. Or if it's something you win at, then you just keep perpetuating it. Your thoughts? Well, let me backtrack for a moment. You're talking about energy. I fully agree with that. But I would like to say that energy is a far more complex, far more uh, subtle kind of a thing than we used to think. Energy we used to think is something that you give a push and then somebody else or something else falls over. Now we recognize that there is a kind of energy which is so subtle that there is hardly anything overt about it, but it produces an effect on you. And we can talk about this kind of energy that is primarily information. The information that you present also through your computer is not primarily energy, it's the information that you do. Now, in nature, there is a kind of energy that is, has very high content, you might say, of information. So what counts there is not the brute, the raw energy. What counts is the information, and that's what moves you. Let me just give you one little insight that we have come across in, in science in the last few years. You know that everything in the world, every object, every stone, every house, every individual, every animal constantly radiates energy. Now this energy radiation goes out from the individual and when you encounter another object, another individual, then their energy radiation interferes or interacts with yours. The two wave fields, because these are waves going out from your energy waves basically, they, they they create a pattern. This is known as an interference pattern. And you know when two waves interfere on the same frequency, they create something that we call a hologram. A hologram is a very interesting thing because you know the three-dimensional uh, images that we get. But the fact is that if in nature holograms are created, the information that is contained in a hologram is the information of the wave fields that have created that hologram. It's my information and your information. If we meet, for example, our, our energy fields interact. 
and there is a transfer of information. So now we are talking, and what we are, when we are talking, we interact through the, through the air waves that we are creating through our vocal cords, but we also interact on a deeper level. And I think this is happening right now with, uh, with us, between us. But it can also happen with others, sometimes even without talking. You feel the other person, and you can sense the other person. You can sense another thing. You can, you can sense a tree. You can sense an animal. You can sense the stars around you. All this is because information is ubiquitous. It's there everywhere in nature. And it is more than just raw energy. It is something very fine. And people who manipulate this kind of information, have to, they are the one who can be very powerful and to be very careful that we maintain our own integrity so that our own energy fields, our own information fields are what creates the, the, the basis of decision for what we do, and we don't let ourselves be overwhelmed. But we have to recognize that there is more to this world than simply uh, the, the, the energy that pushes you, the kinetic energy, or the thermal energy, the heat that warms you up, etc. Even the energy of the food has a very large degree of information in it. And certainly interaction between human beings and between humans and nature has this very high informational component. And we have to rediscover that. It's being rediscovered in the science. We have to sort of recognize this once again. If we do, then we know that our information, our energy actually is, can interact with others as an equal partner. It doesn't have to be subjugated to the others. Let's explore that a little deeper. Don Imus said, I'm a good person who made a stupid statement. There are people who will steal from me but not from you. Someone who will lie to you but not to me. Someone who will betray both of us but not someone else. Now the question is, if someone steals from me and not you, are they a thief? If they lie to you and not to me, are they a liar? If they betray both of us but not someone else, are they a betrayer? It depends upon how they're interpreting their own reality. And we are manifestations of millions of forms of energy waves that hit us. And we're overstimulated by energies outside. And one of the things that people who have been wise enough throughout history have done is they've removed themselves from the overstimulation of excessive inputs, both subtle and dominant, to retreats. They have meditated. They, historically, they would go to a monastery, or they would go to a temple, or they would go into nature. And I've been in the Amazon rainforest where shamans will retreat, even from the small you know, family uh, group they have, where they can go into themselves and disconnect from any excess stimulation and hence distraction to recalibrate, in effect, fine-tune, much like a, a, a tuner of a piano. You know, you can have a great piano, a Steinway, 1924, and if, it, uh, and if it gets out of tune, the best musician in the world playing an out-of-tune piano doesn't harmonize. So you have to have multiple energies all in alignment at the same time for something to really create an, a message, and the message is carried in the energy. Uh, messages don't exist without energy. Uh, every, uh, if I put in my computer right now, if I take the, turn it off, the image stops. I turn it on, the image comes through. But if you were to open up the cable wire, you know, and look at it, you'd say, well, these, these are just wires. And if you didn't have a way of a transponder that converts the energy into a message, 
How would you know? Well, who converts our messages? And the key is we have not gone to that place where people during deeper, deeper meditation go and ask, who converts the messages in the energy that increase the interpretation of my realities? And we all have multiple realities. So hence, Don Imus could be a man who raised $100 million for charity for children, who took terminally ill kids of different diseases to his ranch out in New Mexico and gave them free uh, food and medical services and, and, and a holistic perspective out there because his wife's very much into that. And at the same time, those are harmonized for a good. Comes back in and makes money to support that where demeaning humor is used and those, those messages and the harmony of that are going to resonate with everyone who is on the same wavelength. So if he was not funny to everyone, he wouldn't be on the air. If he was considered racist to everyone, he wouldn't be on the air. If sponsors didn't see that he had enough people harmonizing to buy their products, they wouldn't have advertised him. So then you end up with this idea in our society that society today has become so simplistic that you're either good or bad. And if you're bad, no amount of apologizing will be forgiven. And if you're good, nothing you do that displeases them will ever be held against you. And let me give you one more example. Corporations, one corporation, Pfizer, created a drug called Vioxx. Vioxx killed a minimal 60,000 Americans and possibly as many as 100,000 in a four-year period. And it's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. It was primarily used for arthritis. I interviewed people. I interviewed a professor of medicine who ended up with a stroke because of taking Vioxx. And he went bankrupt because he couldn't practice medicine. His insurance ran out. And then he and his family had to move. I was filming him the day out in Detroit when he and his family were moving because his whole life had been upset. No one from Vioxx has been held criminally accountable for that. No one at, Vi- no one at that company or at Pfizer has been held accountable, I should say. And I'm sure the people who go to work there every day, the lawyers, uh, the scientists, the board members, everyone who knew in advance that was a problematic drug, no one's resigned and as a way of showing contrition and, and uh, some form of social redemption. To the contrary, it's business as usual because nothing they will do uh, will be bad enough, no amount of deaths will be great enough, that the energy that we are giving them and the media and the Wall Street people who keep the stock going, nothing will be bad. It'll be, okay, they had a bad drug, they paid some fines, now next drug. Instead of, hold on a second, you cause more people to die from your drug than all of American casualties in the Vietnam War. And no one is no one is doing anything. There's no changes. So I can see where we have to look at each energy within a person and each area of manifestation and ask what is balanced or imbalanced in each energy field. And you can't do that in the day-to-day hecticness of life. And it's too complex. You need to have the quiet, solitude, the respite, and hopefully, both through your own meditations and prayers, to come to this connection, because I believe you can answer all this. I believe that if Don Imus had done this, that you know he would one day wake up and say, why can't I do something else that could earn me the money to keep this place going and help the kids without having to do things that denigrate people? He could shift the energy. He could create a new message. And by extension, reconnect with people that would appreciate that message, even as others said, oh, you know, you're changing. We're no longer going to support you. And they discontinue. Do you understand what I've just been talking about? 
Well, it's very profound. It's very, very, very serious. We have to think about all these things. One thing I'd like to add here right away. You have to take distance. You have to retreat. This retreat doesn't need to be a physical retreat. You can do it anywhere. I'm sure you do it wherever yes. you are. One can do it in the morning. One can do it in the evening. One can take a moment during the day. What is happening during this time? You know, since I come from the sciences, I, I was interested in this question also to see if there's a scientific explanation. And there is. Our brain continues, of course, to operate, even when you meditate, when you pray, when you stop your external busy, busy activities. But your brain starts operating in a different way. And you can tell how different it is by a very simple way. You can make tests, these so-called EEG or electroencephalograph tests. You, know, you put these probes on people's heads, and then they measure the electric activity of the brain. Obviously, it's just an external measurement. It doesn't really go deep inside the brain. But you can tell. The brain starts operating in a deeper meditative state, in a so-called altered state. And these altered states of brain come through in an altered state of consciousness. So people, when they enter into this state, when you and I enter into this state, in a white dream state before we wake up or before we go to sleep, or we just let go for a moment, ideal, of course, if you find a beautiful spot in the country where you can get out, you enter into it and your brain becomes a receiver of information that is far more open to a broadband to di diverse forms of information than your everyday brain. The everyday brain in the so-called delta uh, wavelengths is only limited to a certain small range of information. When you go down into this alpha lengths or theta lengths uh, uh, wave bands, then the brain becomes a receiver of information, of energy and information is, is, is together, but where the information component is very significant. And you can pick up information of the kind that you picked up when you chose your house, when I chose my house. You know, When you fi find another person and you say, I can work with this per person or not. Women are more open to this very often. Women very often will say, okay, this could be a good collaborator, not to mention having a good spouse or a good companion or a good husband. Um, for men, very often we just look at externalities, but one can go deeper down and one can get this kind of information about everything and anything that happens in the world. The brain is actually a very, very sophisticated receiver and transmitter of information. We only use a very small part of it. If you learn to use more of it, then we could attune ourselves much more to the world around us, I think we become a better person because we all of a sudden develop much more solidarity, much more empathy with others, with nature and with other people around us. Very nice point. Thank you for sharing that. For those of you who are just tuning in, I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. Today is a continuation of a 30-year program that I have had, and throughout those years, uh, I have interviewed over 16,000 individuals. And this is a part of what I'm calling Conversations with Remarkable People. The remarkable person today is Professor Irvin Laszlo, L-A-S-Z-L-O. And he is, a, uh, he is one of the founders of the Club of Bucharest. Uh, he is one of the um, founders and, and members of the General Evolution Research Group. Uh, he has authored over 74 books. Uh, the Akashic Field is the latest one, the science and the Akashic Field the internal theory of everything. And we're talking about very complex issues, but 
uh, hopefully people are able to understand. I think most people are able to understand what we're discussing. And I will be taking your emails now. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'll ask people in the audience from around the world to go to their computers and type in on the air, but all is one word, no, no uh, spaces, on the air at garyandall.com. And uh, we'll also be taking some phone calls. I need our, f- uh, our, need, I need our phone number. Um, I'm going to ask our engineer to get me the phone number. Now, one more thing before I go to the uh, calls and the emails. I believe, picking up on something you said as a thread, I believe that both men and women are extremely sensitive. Men don't always show their sensitivity. I do not believe that women are inherently more sensitive. I just believe that men and women are both sensitive. But in the process, men have been conditioned to believe that they uh, somehow are less or weakened by being vulnerable through their sensitivity. And then when people see something in you or hear something or identify something that they believe is important to them, and I believe that that comes not just from a conditioned mind. It comes from that eternal mind, that eternal energy, the connection that says, wow, you know, yes. Then that person has to then calibrate that energy and the message with their own conditioned self. And the problem, as I see it, and hence I'm asking you the solution, the problem is that more often than not, people end up in challenges in trying to develop a relationship because the relationship first has to be with their conditioned self. And all the energies and the messages in those energies are, yes, he's too young, he's too old, he's too fat, he's too thin, she's too and not enough of and excessive here. And thousands upon hundreds of thousands of messages early on, some of those messages are what I call dominant messages, where they happen over and over and frequently through trauma the trauma of a young child being argued to or manipulated or demeaned or demanded by an adult, frequently the parent. You will not do that. Bad girl, bad boy. And now that also is there. Remember, nothing that ever happened in our lives is ever gone. And now that suddenly, you in front of me, that has to be filtered through everything from my background. And only when it is cleared, it's vetted, it is tried to deal with it, then it comes out in either A, you're acceptable or unacceptable for the following reasons, nothing of which has to do with you and and, and who you are. It all has to do with, can I get out of my own way? Can I undo all of my own conditioning so that whatever I really truly need and whatever I find another person who can share those needs can be harmonized without conflict? And the conflict is not in you. And what you're saying, or me, it is in the conditioned self that resides within me. So if I can't deal with my conditioned energies and getting through that system, then no matter what I need, I'll self-sabotage it. And everywhere, everywhere in the world, you see, in every culture, people who will self-sabotage what they need. And it had nothing to do because they were stupid or didn't understand. It was because they weren't thinking with a single mind. They were thinking with a fractured mind, a million component minds, and everyone else standing up and saying, hey, before you do that, you better, you know, you sure you want to go in Central Park? It's dangerous. You could get mugged. And suddenly you think, ooh, should I go into Central Park? I could get mugged. And it becomes almost a part of our subconscious. A subconscious can hold 800 million pieces of information per second. 
How can the conscious mind compete with that? And hence, why do we keep making mistakes over and over and over again and self-sabotaging when we are smarter than the mistakes we make and the needs that we authentically should be given are being thwarted by this not being able to resolve this? Your thoughts? Well, this is a cultural conditioning. Every culture somehow brainwashes to some extent all the members of that culture. We all are born with a relatively open mind. We could become members of an Australian Aboriginal culture just from in terms of our upbringing. We could become members of an African culture, of a U.S. culture, European culture, Japanese culture, or whatever. But then the culture starts acting on us with our education, with the uh, exposure to our parents, to other people around us. And we end up uh, becoming uh, sort of the carriers of the culture. And then we communicate and we give it on. And this is how societies become coherent wholes of a certain kind, of a particular kind of nature. Human nature is something that all people have in common. But then you have a particular characteristics, which is typical for Europeans, for Americans, for Latinos, for Africans, or whatever. So I think it's important. It's important to recognize that we have the facility, we have the characteristic to enter much deeper than this cultural conditioning, that we can recover some of that basic humanity that all people have, that belongingness that comes through the belongingness, that comes through the recognition that we are not separated off from the world around us, that we can feel it, feel ourselves back into it, so to speak. We can open our consciousness, our mind, as I mentioned earlier, our brain by entering into these slightly altered states of brain functioning and consciousness. I think this is so important to recover ourselves as, I would say, universal beings, as living beings, as a biologist, biology researcher yourself. You recognize that all living beings have the same genetic endowment, has the same basis. And if we forget this, if we become narrow-minded uh, individuals operating only in the here and now according to dictates that come around us, it's because we forget our deeper or universal nature. Now, as a philosopher and a scientist, I try to get back to this, try to show that in nature there is something which is there of which we can be a part. And this something is what I call the Akashic field, a field of information with which we can be attuned. And this could make us, being attuned with it, can make us a much more whole, much more healthier person. The Akashic field is the tuning rod of the soul. It reharmonizes those energies by allowing us to reconnect with something that we may have blunted or thwarted. The fact that an energy is there doesn't mean that a person will resensitize themselves to it. No. Uh, the Akashic field is the total energy information field of the cosmos. Of the whole of, universe throughout of, of history. Universe. Everything is there. Everything is there. This is the whole notion of the Akashic record. Everything is there. N nothing that ever happened is, is lost. Therefore, it's our possibility, our option, our challenge to get in touch with that again. Got to get out of the way of the ego and got to get out of the way of the the field that protects the ego, the anger, uh, the fear, because more often than not, people will react out of anger and fear to what they cannot understand or to what challenges them. 
I think this is absolutely key to creating a more peaceful world, a world where people feel more at one with their fellow people, with different cultures as well, with the environment. As long as we believe that we are acting as a separate little a tiny dot here that has no real impact or, or, or nothing significant impact on other things around us, then we just go around doing our selfish individual things. If you recognize that we are part of a larger whole and that what we do affects that larger whole, and that larger whole, which is the cosmos, which is the biosphere, which is all of human society, which is, which is nature around us, affects us as well, then we start behaving differently. Good. We're going to take some emails and calls now. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us. Professor Irvin Lasko is, Lazo is my guest. We're talking on the issue of the Akashic field, meaning everything that's ever happened in the history of the universe is a point of energy. Connect with it, and you can connect with things you would not have known. One little quick example. Um, I have some capuchin monkeys, very small ones, very smart. And uh, I just wanted to see, by quiet observation, by kind of hiding so she wouldn't see me. My, and I raised them both uh, by hand. I changed their diapers every day, 12 times a day, and a thousand kisses a day, and, you know, playing with them, and, and they slept on my chest. A little male and a little female, they're six months apart. Well, the little female... Um, I was watching one day, and this cat named Sally, loving cat, big cat, and this is a little tiny capuchin, big cat, four times the size of the little capuchin. Capuchin can fit in the palm of your hand. I'm watching as the capuchin would walk around the cage and try to entice the cat over, and then the capuchin would go back to its food cage, a food bowl, get food, and bring it out and hold this hand out of its enclosure. And the, the cat finally came over and sniffed the food. And when it didn't eat the food, it ran back and got a different food. And it kept getting things and it had a little monkey bar. And it brought back and the cat took the monkey bar. And then as the cat sat down to eat the monkey bar, this, uh, the, the, uh, the sweetie, the little capuchin, started petting the cat. And then each day the cat would go by there and she'd bring over food. And then she got to where the, the, when the... A tenant would go in to, you know, clean the cage and everything. It's a big enclosure. It's two giant enclosures and very creative. Um, the cat would go in with him. And then the, 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 uh, the, the capuchin would go down and uh, pet the cat and kiss the cat and, and cradle the cat and put its head in its little lap. And when people think of dumb animals, little do they know of how much knowledge of their own needs an animal has. It's just one little observation. Let me just add one element to this. Animals are, by nature, much more ethical than the majority of human beings. <laughs> then you know, we, should, we should elect a dog for the White House. It would be more ethical <laughs> than what we have. You know, an, animals very often are known to put the good, the interest of another animal, a member of the family, a member of the tribe, before their own. Chimps have been known to drawn because by trying to rescue another chimp who fell into water. This has happened often even, even, even in zoos. Animals, uh, when they're given a choice of getting food, or, uh, but at the cost of imposing a pain on another monkey, this is also a chimp, they have gone without food because they want to impose the pain on the others. A lot to yeah. learn. 
Let's take a call right now, and let's see who's on the line. Hi, what's your name? You're on... Yes, uh, hello. My name is Laurence. Uh, I'm from France. I'd like, first of all, to thank you so much uh, for this tremendously interesting broadcast. And I'd like to ask a question to Professor Laszlo. Uh, I'm a journalist, and so I'm interested in your motivation, Professor. Uh, is there any event in your personal life that got you interested in Akashic fields? Well, Laurence, yes, very nice to talk with you. Uh, this is a very complex question. Now, there's been not just one event, there have been many events. I started my life as a pianist, as a musician, then I've switched into philosophy, then uh, to science, then worked for the United Nations, and then I came now back again to do fundamental research in science and in human affairs. And I can't simply say, just to pull out just one, any one event like this. This is a much strong, longer story, so it will have to await some other occasion. Thank you very much. Okay, I hope you, hope you are enjoying the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And here is uh, an email, and this is from William a Sonnet from New Brunswick, New Jersey. And he says, Gary, thanks for having such a prestigious guest on the air. Um, I've always admired Dr. Leslow's work for a long time. My question in light of his and others' research and philosophies, Sheldrake's morphogenic uh, fields come to mind. Also, is, is that it would appear that there is a impartiality uh, to unified field um, concepts and how we are all interconnected and as well uh, as subtly affected uh, each other's everywhere. Often I find this uh, idea taken to the extreme and seeing it only in the context of positive influences between people. However, in our world today, uh, steeped in lots of ignorance, uh, would the reverse also be uh, to have an effect as well? Your thoughts? A very crucial question indeed. If we are connected with each other, we are connected for good or for bad. This, these fields, which I call the Akashic field, is a kind of a morphogenetic field that Sheldrake originally called like that. We have discussed this many times, and I believe that this is a really fundamental field that is connected in science with the quantum theory, with string theory, with general relativity, unified field theories. But beyond going beyond that, it's obvious that our connection to each other can be used for good as for bad. It can be used for healing, for example, in subtle energy healing. It's in some forms of voodoo, sometimes it's used to impose harm, to make people sick. Fortunately, for the time being, those who are really interested and involved with the possibilities, potentials of this kind of more subtle connection with each other, they are likely to be people who are more sincere, who are more interested in using it for the good than using it for selfish ends. So for the time being, I think the potential for doing good by entering on this field is enormously much greater than using it for selfish ends.